Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We conclude our, our sermon series in this great book of 2 Peter. I pray that it uh, has been a blessing to you uh, as we've studied God's Word together. Tonight we read, uh, we'll read verses 14 through uh, 18. Uh, we'll be focusing particularly on verses 15 through 18. Hear God's Word. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. One of the most sobering and encouraging passages in the scriptures is found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22, uh, when Jesus foretells Peter's denial of him. In these words, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, that, but I have prayed for you, he says, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, despite Peter's protestations of strength and ability and commitment, right, he fell in weakness. He abandoned his Lord and Savior. He denied Jesus three times. But because of Jesus' prayer for Peter, his faith did not fail. And he did return and repented, and he strengthened the brothers and the sisters. We see it in the book of Acts, and we've seen it here in 2 Peter. That's what Peter has been doing throughout this letter. He has been strengthening the church against false teaching so that they might not fall from their firm position in the faith. And how has Peter done that? How has he helped the church to keep their guard up against these false teachers? Well, we saw it in chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, by stirring up their sincere minds uh, to remind them Right? To, to cast their thoughts back to the truth they had already been established in, that they already knew, that they might remember and recall and stand firm. And so as we come to the end of this letter, uh, to Peter's final exhortation and warning, we see that he's doing the exact same thing. He's still encouraging them and exhorting them uh, by, by reminding them of the truth of Scripture. And he's doing it so that they will be strong so that they will not fall. You see the language there in verse 17, that they might not lose their own stability, or another way you can translate it, to, to fall from their own firmness, their firmness in the faith. He is strengthening them to hold their ground, to stand firm, to, to keep their center of balance and not be moved. And again, how does he do it? By reminding them of the truth of God's word. And not just the truth of God's word, but the truth about God's word. And that's what I want us to look at this evening. I want you to see four things that Peter teaches us about the scriptures in this wonderful text. First, the apostolic authors of the scriptures. Second, the understandable unity 
of the scriptures. Third, the heartening hardness of the scriptures. And fourth, the dangerous distortion of the scriptures. I hope that those alliterative points will help you to remember them, right? None of you are writing them down, though, I see. Maybe one or two. Like, they were such good points, and you're not writing them down. All right, well, first, the apostolic authors of the scriptures. Now, Sam showed us last week from verses 11 to 14, Peter is bringing this text and his letter in for a landing by calling us to live a holy life in response to the soon but delayed return of Jesus Christ. And he mentions once more that the reason for Jesus' delay is that God is patient unto salvation, right? You see that there in verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. God is waiting until all of those whom he has given to Jesus before the foundation of the world are gathered into the church through faith and repentance. Notice for additional support to this point, Peter brings in the writings of Paul to these same churches in Asia Minor. You see it there in verse 15, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. But I want you to notice in this point is particularly how Peter describes Paul's writings in verse 16. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. We'll, We'll come back to that which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. We'll come back to that. But now look at this last phrase, as they also do the other scriptures. Now it's very easy for us as Bible-believing Christians, right? Evangelical, gospel, Bible believers to just skip right over these last few words because they're saying something we already believe, something we, we take for granted, we presuppose it. But what Peter writes here is tremendous. It is marvelous. It is amazing. Uh, Peter was an apostle. Paul was an apostle. And Peter is telling us that he had read Paul's writings. And within 30 to 35 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, already Peter is comparing them with the other scriptures. And not just comparing them by saying they're, they're sort of like them. He is putting Paul's writings in the same class, the same category as the other scriptures, particularly the scriptures of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He is confirming that Paul's writings belong in the category of scripture. He is recognizing them as on par with the writings of the prophets of old. Do not miss this. Now, here's the thing. Paul actually does the same thing about Luke's writings. If you were to turn back into 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, you would see Paul say essentially the same thing. He is talking in, in chapter 5, verse 18, about how the church needs to consider the elders who rule well, worthy of double honor, particularly those who labor in preaching and teaching. He's speaking about compensating and paying those who labor among you. And, and for support from the scriptures, he writes this. He says, Just as the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Now that first scripture text is taken from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Well, of course, Moses, that's scripture. Do you know where the second citation is taken from? Luke chapter 10, verse seven. Paul is putting Luke's words on par with the words of Moses. 
Do you see this? Dr. Luke, Paul's apostolic assistant, his traveling companion who compiled that orderly account for Theophilus of all the things that had been accomplished among those, the the early believers, through the apostolic eyewitnesses, the things that he knew and learned as he interviewed and talked to people like Paul, Luke's narrative was just as scriptural, was just as much scripture as the Pentateuch that Moses himself wrote. Do you see what this means? In the same length of time from today back to like the late 80s, early 90s, and and a good number of you in this room remember those days, right? You were alive in the late 80s and the early 90s, 30 to 35 years, right? In that amount of time, the New Testament canon is already being recognized as canon, as scripture, The writings of the apostles of of Jesus Christ and their associates are already being acknowledged as equal in authority and truth and usefulness to what we call the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings. This means that what what Peter said uh, in chapter 1, it applies to Paul's writings, to Luke's writings, even to Peter's writings. You remember at the end of chapter one, when he said, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's true of Paul's words. That's true of Luke's words. That's true of Peter's words. Man's words, whether from Paul or Peter or Luke, or John, or any of the other New Testament apostles and writers, they are first and foremost God's words. All scripture, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, has been breathed out by God. It's God's word. God is the one who, as Peter says here, has given Paul the wisdom in order to write. You see it there in verse 15, according to the wisdom given him. By whom? By God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke through Paul by giving him the wisdom to write what he wanted him to write. Do you believe that the Bible is God's inscripturated word? Do you believe that, that, that what you read when you read the New Testament is the word of God? Jesus believed that what we call the Old Testament was the scripture, it was the word of God. Paul believed that the Gospels were the word of God. Peter believe that Paul's writings were scripture, the word of God. We must hold fast, brothers and sisters, to the inspiration, or perhaps better, in light of 2 Timothy 3.16, the expiration, the breathed outness of the word of God, the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. The human words that we read here in the Bible are first and foremost divine words. They have a divine source, and they have been written for us and for our salvation. So that's the first thing, the apostolic authors of the scriptures. But secondly, I want you to see here the understandable unity of the scriptures. Look again at verse 15. Paul says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them of these matters. See, Peter is reminding us that the scriptures, all the multiple authors of the scriptures, they teach the same thing. And they do so clearly, plainly, across all 66 books of the Bible. Particularly with regard to salvation, the Bible is understandable. It's clear. 
And it speaks with one voice. Let's focus on the, the unity part first. Right, right. Paul and Peter, we learn from this text, are not competitors. They're not vying for our attention, for, for our, our, our affection and our interests. No, right. they are saying the same thing. They're not trying to steal followers away from one another. Right? What, what Peter wrote about the patience of God unto salvation is the same thing that Paul has written about the patience of God unto salvation. We saw it uh, several months ago when we looked at Romans chapter 2. Right, Verse 4, when, when Paul says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God, the patience of God, leads you to repentance? Right? Romans 3.25, which speaks of the forbearance of God. Paul and Peter saying, teaching the same thing. Or when here Peter writes about the necessity of, of holiness and how the hope of Christ's return should impel us to holy living. Paul has said the same thing. 1 Thessalonians 5, he, he uses the same image that Peter used about a, the, the thief in the night. And, and he uses that image to call us not to fall asleep, but to, to be alert, to be sober. Some would, would tell you that the, the Bible contradicts itself, right? That, that the individual writers contradict themselves within the things that they write. But Peter would tell you, no, Paul is consistent with me. Paul is consistent with himself, right? As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Right? Paul's on the same page with Paul and Paul's on the same page with Peter. There's a consistency, but there's also a clarity. It's an understandable unity. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter one, section seven, puts it like this. Those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So what, what the confession is saying, what, what Peter is teaching us, is that the Bible is an open book. God is not trying to, to hide things. Now, to be sure, as we're about to see, that doesn't mean that everything is equally clear, right? But the important things, the things necessary for salvation and for the Christian life, these things are clear. They are plain. If, if we use the minds that God has given us, if we use those ordinary means by which we come to understand anything, we can understand the scriptures. Right? Peter is, is saying, look, what I've written is just what Paul wrote. It, it's clear. We know that Paul writes the same way in all of his writings. Right? That's, that's patently obvious and clear for those who, who read the Bible. Now, one of the things I love about uh, this, this truth, this doctrine of Scripture, is that there's this very unclear word that we use to, uh, to describe it, the, the perspic perspicacity, the, the perspicuousness of, of Scripture. I can't even say the word, right? But for you who are taking the PSAT this week, remember this word, perspicuous, right? Clear, clarity. Right? It's a very important word. It's a very important truth. The, the clarity of the Bible. Right? The Bible is clear. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get a PhD to understand the Bible and to be saved. Even the unlearned can hear and understand the gospel. If it weren't so, then children couldn't be saved. But they can be saved. Anyone can hear or read the, the scriptures and learn that they are sinners in need of a savior and that Jesus is a perfect savior for sinners through his perfect life and through his undeserved death and through his glorious resurrection and ascension and his soon return. Salvation is available 
by grace through faith in him. The whole Bible is unified in teaching the gospel clearly. There is an understandable unity in the scriptures that Peter sets forth for us here, even as he references Paul's writings. Do you believe this? Do you read the Bible and realize that you're reading one book, though there are 66 books? Do you believe that when you open up your Bible, whether it's morning or afternoon or evening, you can understand it? You can read it and grasp the message of the scriptures. You can be a Berean and say, well, I hear what you're saying, pastor. But now let me go and and study the word of God for myself. What a blessed thing to have the scriptures in writing, in our own homes. The Bible is understandable. The Bible is unified in what it teaches. Well, thirdly, not finally, not yet. Hang on, not there yet. Thirdly, we see Peter teaches the heartening hardness of the scripture. Right? This is the flip side of the clarity of scripture. Verse 16. There are some things in them, that is in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. Now, as a, as a student of the Bible and as a, a preacher and a teacher and a pastor, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, right? And, and, I, and I use that language of the heartening hardness on purpose Because if the Apostle Peter thought that there were some things in Paul that were hard to understand, then I don't feel bad when I can't understand everything Paul's saying in Romans, right? It is encouraging, it is heartening to hear Peter say, yeah, there are some hard passages in Paul. There are some things that are hard to understand, that can be misunderstood. What a comfort to know that when you read something in the Bible and think, what in the world is this talking about? You're not crazy. Right? You're not stupid. Right? You are a human believer in Jesus Christ who's struggling to understand the word of God. And there are some things that are hard to understand. Now, it's probably going to be the case that as you study and read and, and grow, uh, there are going to be some things that used to be hard for you to understand, but now you, you feel like you understand them pretty clearly. Right? You've grown in your ability to understand these things. But then when you reach that point, there are going to be other things in the Bible that you come across. And you're like, well, now this is hard to understand. This is difficult to understand. Something, at, at some point, at every point in your Christian walk, you should be coming to the Bible with questions. Or let me put it this way, you should be coming away from the Bible with questions. As you read, you should be reading and saying, wait a minute, what does this mean? And if this means that, then what does that mean over there? Right? If... if If you don't have questions, children for your parents or or parents for your elders, if if you don't have questions, then then there's part of me that wonders, are you really reading your Bible? Because if you're reading your Bible, you will have questions because there are some things in there that are hard to understand. And if you don't think there's hard to understand, you obviously haven't read Ecclesiastes or Revelation recently, right? But what Peter is reminding us here in this text is that if you find that the Bible is hard to understand, that's okay. You are in good company. You're finite. You're not God. You're not going to understand everything perfectly. Sometimes you're going to look at a text and you're going to think it means one thing, and then the next day you're going to look at it again and you're going to think, I actually think it means the opposite thing. And then you wonder, is there a way that both of these things can be true? And you're going to find that you sort of follow whoever you've read last or whoever you've listened to last. The reality is that, that this beautiful truth, this heartening hardness of the scriptures 
should, should never lead us to, to stop caring about what does the Bible really mean. Right? It should never lead us to, to stop working hard at, at trying to understand the Bible. Rather, it should drive us even more into struggling to know, struggling to understand, struggling to, to figure out what is God teaching us in these hard texts, in these hard passages. And we should always, let me put it this way, we should never despair we should never give up hope. We should never just throw our hands up and say, what's the use? We should never beat ourselves up because we can't understand God's word. God has revealed himself to us, but he hasn't done it so completely or so comprehensively that, that we can just figure it out the snap of the fingers, right? Peter is telling us here, you'll never fully comprehend God. He's God, you're not. You'll never fully understand everything about him. So don't get upset when you come across the, the scriptures and you think, this is hard. People disagree about this passage. Yes, it's hard to understand. Right? When you can't put all the pieces together, don't fret. Right? It's sort of like when you're in Cracker Barrel and, and you are doing a little triangle puzzle and, and you only get like three or four at the end. Like, it's a hard puzzle. Like, don't get upset, Right? I mean, like, who can get one unless you've, like, memorized the algorithm, right? But for most of us, three, four, five sometimes, try again. Go back to it. Keep working. But here's the other application of this point. Have patience on others, right? When they struggle to understand something that you now at this point think is very clear. Probably it was not clear to you a year ago, three years ago. But now it is. Now you said, hey, this is, this is just so patently on the surface. It's so clear to me. Well, when someone's still wrestling with that, particularly the things that, 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 that are controversial, like baptism or Presbyterianism or the five points of Calvinism, like let us as the people of God be patient with one another and know that there are things that are hard to understand, that are liable to be misunderstood. Be gentle with those who disagree with us, right? And, and, and be patient as you seek to convince them and to show them how we came to see that, that it was very clear to understand it in this way. So the heartening hardness of the scriptures. Well, finally, we see in this text that is the dangerous distortions of scripture. Look at the end of verse 16, where Peter speaks of these things that are hard to understand. Then he says, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You see, it's possible to misunderstand God's word, but it's also possible to distort it, to pull it out of shape, to torture it, to twist it. And Peter says there are ignorant and unstable people who do just that. Right? They twist Peter's words unto lawlessness. Under, they twist Paul's words unto a rejection of the return of Jesus and its implications for holiness and faith. They twist Paul and Peter's words so that, that it doesn't matter what you believe or you can believe false teaching. You can live in, in ways that are contrary to God's word. These are dangerous distortions. As Peter tells us it, it, it leads to destruction. They twist them to their own destruction. It's not merely that they don't understand the Bible properly, but they understand it in such a way that leads them to hell. So what is to be our response in light of the, this reality that there are false teachers, there are false teachings? Well, twofold, Peter says. On the, in the first place, we are to be on our guard 
In the second place, we are to grow. We are to be on our guard. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, right? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care. Have your guard up. Keep watch lest heterodoxy and heteropraxy, false doctrine and false living, creep in unawares and lead you astray to the point that you get knocked off your feet. As, as the kids put it, that you, your ankles get broken, right? The, the guy's dribbling and, and he, and he you know, jukes you and cross, you know, crosses you over and all of a sudden you're on the ground. Peter's saying, do not lose your center of gravity. Do not lose your, your ability to stand firm. There can be no complacency in the Christian life. Always be on the alert as to what you're taking in, how you're thinking, how you're living. He wants us to be on our guard. And here's the thing. He, the responsibility, he is saying, now lies with you. You've heard what I've said, Peter is saying. I've taught you. I've written to you. I've warned you. Now you must apply the things that you have heard. Which means that each one of us has the responsibility to, to read and to know our Bibles. right? To read and to, to understand truth, doctrine more and more. To read and understand more and more what does the Christian life look like? What does holiness look like? What does it mean to obey the law of God? So that we can detect error, false teaching, and we can detect immorality, false living. We are to, to be sort of like a metal detector. Constantly, as we read the Bible and as we go out into the world, uh, we're, we're always having our radar up. Right? As we read our Bibles, we are to, 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 to look for ways that, that this teaching might be twisted and distorted. As we talk with other believers, we are to, to listen for ways that they're out of line with the, the teaching of God's word. Right? We are to, to be on guard for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But not just be on our guard, we're also to, to grow. And Peter, as he comes to the very last verse of the book, he ends where he began. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian life is, is like walking on those moving sidewalks in the airport the wrong way. Right? It's like paddling upstream. If you, if you stop moving forward, what happens? You're moving backwards. Right? If you stop progressing and growing you're shrinking. It's like riding a bike. If you, if you stop pedaling forward, you're going to fall off, right? A bike does not stand upright by itself. But if you pedal, if you're growing, if you're moving forward, you're, 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 you're standing upright. Peter is saying we must grow. We're sinners. There is this spiritual friction that, that's always slowing us down. There's this spiritual gravity that's always tugging us downward. There's this spiritual inertia whereby we are always standing still. And Peter says, we must push back. We must grow. We must grow. We must try to push away that tendency to, to, to move Jesus to the back of our hearts, to the back of our thinking. We have to keep pressing on, keep learning, keep growing, keep increasing in, in, in our knowledge of Jesus and our knowledge of the Bible and our knowledge of, of who God is and, and what he requires of us and what he has revealed to us in the scriptures. And what's implied here, of course, based on what Peter has written in 1 Peter chapter 2, is that, that growth happens through the scriptures. Like a newborn babe, Long for the pure milk of the word, that, that by it you might grow unto salvation, Peter has said. We never arrive, yes, 
We never get to where we need to be perfectly. We never hit a point in our life where we say, I've learned everything there is to learn about the Bible. I need to learn no more, right? We never get to a point where there's no more places in our life that need to be sanctified. And here's the thing. If Peter is saying we must grow, then what that means is we can't rest on old knowledge, right? Old study of the Bible, old sermons, old RUF talks that we heard when we were in college. We have to constantly be growing, constantly be reading and studying the scriptures. I was struck by this even this week as I was reading through the book of Esther and my sort of daily reading of, of God's word through the Bible in a year. And, and I, I've read Esther countless times. But as I read Esther too, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. Esther had another name? Like Esther wasn't her only name? I didn't even know that. Like I'm a pastor. I've been a Christian for 46 years. Like, what's going on? How did I don't know that? Hadassah, did you know that? Her name was Hadassah. It doesn't say if that was like her Hebrew name. Like, I had never seen that before. And I didn't, had never seen before either. It had not, had completely forgotten. I'm, you know, you are getting older. You say, maybe I knew this and forgot it, right? And, and did you know that Mordecai was, was Esther's cousin? Esther was the, the, the daughter of Mordecai's uncle? I don't think I'd ever seen that in the scriptures before. And if, and if there's things like that, sort of Bible trivia, that I look and I'm like, have I ever seen this before? Then what about significant things, big things that I might be missing? We must always be growing in the knowledge of our Savior, but not just growth in knowledge. Paul said, Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in our experience of God's generosity to us. Grow in our love for him because he has first loved us. Grow in, in your dependence upon him and your faith that he is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Grow in your knowledge of how much you owe him for your salvation, how desperately you need him moment by moment. And ultimately grow in your knowledge that he gets all the glory in your salvation, in your life. How does Peter end? To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Think of our purpose statement that we've been talking about a lot in these last weeks. To pursue transformation by truth and grace together for the glory of Christ. Isn't that what Peter is talking about here? Right, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Right? I mean, I mean those, these verses could have come up with that purpose statement all by themselves, right? We want, to, we want to be more like Christ. We want to, 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 to pursue Christ's likeness. We want to grow in grace, grow in knowledge as a congregation together. Peter's not writing this to an individual, but to the whole church. And ultimately, Peter wants Jesus to, to be glorified. He is strengthening us so that we might not fall. May God cause us by his spirit to grow more and more every day together for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this glorious text, so rich, so full, so many beautiful insights, Lord, that you've given to us here in this passage. We pray that we would leave this room tonight hungry and excited about reading your Bible this week. Lord, desiring to know it better, desiring to, to find those hard things in it. Lord, desiring to see the clear and understandable, unified truth that you revealed to us through your apostles, through your prophets. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to have our guard always up 
and to be growing, that we might not fall into these dangerous distortions and, and twists and tortures of, of your word, Lord, that we might hold fast to the truth and live in the light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.